Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode 100. In today's episode, I interview a man who needs no introduction, Paul Check. This is a very special episode for me as Paul has had a tremendous impact on my life and it is very fitting that it is episode 100, uh, which is my first 100 episode gong in podcasting. Uh, please be sure to stick around for the end of the episode to learn what Paul is most excited about, how you can use shamanic practices now for your own health. And his answer to, is the universe friendly? Alrighty guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I am pleased to announce that I have Paul Check. Paul, one of the first things I ask everybody is to share the highlights of your health journey up until this point. I think the highlights of my health journey are that every time I have found a challenge within myself that was limiting my freedom and I engaged it openly and honestly and resolved it, that I looked around myself and saw the same challenge in other people's lives everywhere I went. And now that I had done the work to really look into the nature of the challenge and find solutions that were practical and applicable that I could share them with other people. And then I reached the point where I realized any kind of impediment to my health or physical injuries from training or whatever it might be were actually blessings in disguise. And instead of having a kind of um, resentful, frustrated relationship with the challenge, I saw it as an opportunity to learn more, grow more, and share more. What has maybe been that most recent uh, blessing in disguise where you have been able to learn more, grow more, share more for everybody? Well, the most recent would be, you know, with the birth of my son, Mana, who's just going to be uh, one year old in a few days on the 22nd. You know, my first son's 37, so it's been quite a while since I've kind of had that experience of engaging an, an infant 
and my son is very, very active and very physically strong and, and uh, has a truckload of energy. And um, <clears throat> I'm an orderly guy. You know, I like my office clean and orderly and my things clean and orderly. And um, he has really taught me to let go of needing things to be any certain way and to let go of possession uh, possession of objects because the things that might be sacred to me are just objects to him and he'll throw them on the floor and <laughs> smash them. And, you know, and when I feel myself getting reactive, I know that he doesn't really understand what he's doing and that everything's just a toy for him. And so it's helped me... Um, get out of my need to control things and get more into the celebration of the beauty of the moment and just find ways to, you know, if there's important things that I don't want him to, you know, put into the water fountain or <laughs> use as a hammer or try to feed the dog that I need to just, you know, remove those items before he's there. And, um, when 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 things like that do happen, I just say, well, I guess it's spirit telling me it's time to get a new one that I like better. <laughs> uh, I can certainly appreciate that, Paul. My son's about a year and a half right now, and it's we were up in the middle of the night last night, and it throws off my sleep schedule. I mean, all of that, but hey, I just get to do my best to enjoy that time that I have with him, whatever it may be. Yeah, and that's, I think, a big lesson is that if we try to impose adult concepts and constraints on a child, it usually means that we're still not really aware of what it means to be a child. And we're often inflicting the same torture on our child that was inflicted on us. And it creates the same challenges in our children that it created in us, except then we want to diagnose the child as having something wrong with it without realizing the child is a perfect mirror of us. I'm just trying to process all of that. I think that's that's actually a lot for me to take in right now because I can it, it hits so well home. Uh, so thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, <laughs> that's what I've been learning, <laughs> and I'm enjoying it. You know, I really am. I, uh, you know, I what remember been most surprised by even that happened out of it all. I've been most surprised by the fact that a lot of the things that I put a lot of value in when I weigh up what I might lose by yelling at him or telling him to stop or being aggressive to try to and creating tension in him and fear in him that if I really look at it from a detached perspective that none of it really matters. Uh, you know, none of it, you can't replace love with an object. You can't replace love with a schedule. You can't replace love with, a to-do list and that he's teaching me how to access what's really meaningful in life and it's not material possession it's not the orderliness of a room it's not a schedule it's not a predetermined outcome it's really just the capacity to find the beauty in any moment 
you know, and it's amazing. Like he can find beauty in anything. You give him a spoon and he's just the happiest guy in the world. And he wants to tap everything in the house with a spoon and see how it sounds. And he just thinks that's fantastic. But then think of all the people that have to have a new car every year. They feel like they're uh, not keeping up with the Joneses or they're, penis has to be a certain size or their boobs have to look a certain way or they have to have a certain amount of money but my kid he's happy as a clam with a wooden spoon that to me is a buddha i i couldn't agree more <laughs> it's like you said the those are the simplest things and that's what hey when we're cooking in the kitchen every day he just loves taking that like you said the wooden spatula for us and it's he's stirring stuff and then after he's done after we're done cooking he's hitting everything and it's just it's pure joy yeah. And, you know, it's it's amazing how you get an opportunity to look at your own control dramas when really what you're being offered is guidance from an enlightened being as to how to make beauty out of anything. But we are in such a rush to create something else that almost always has tension wrapped around it. And ultimately, if it's done frequently enough, it inhibits the child from wanting to engage for fear of reprimand or diminishment or losing love. And so, you know, looking back at my own childhood and how I raised my first son and seeing the mistakes that I made and, and, and the ways that uh, I wish I was parented differently, I find my son's now giving me a chance to be clear about really being honest with making those changes instead of just doing lip service to them. And the more I live like him, the more I feel like him. Now, Paul, one of the things that you'd said uh, before, like he's moving all the time and you said that he's really strong. And this has been one of my uh, mantras, if you will, for the new year is I want to be strong as an ox, but also healthy as a horse. And I'm curious on your thoughts of with strength, how would you go about just getting absolutely strong as an ox without lifting weights? And is something like that possible? Well, the first question I would ask is, is it reasonable, realistic, or necessary to be as strong as an ox? Because there's a tipping point where if you're working to develop strength that's beyond the functional range of what is necessary to live your dream, you're now caught into some sort of an illusion and you have to ask yourself, who am I trying to impress and for what reason? So, you know, if if I was to answer that as, as a question that fits the philosophy that I live, I would say the way you can get strong as an ox functionally is stop using gadgets to do everything for you and mix your cookies batter by hand, uh, knead your bread dough by hand, weed your garden by hand, clean your own house, wash your own clothes and engage the activities that are called activities of daily living and turn them into a source of joy and creativity um, so you don't feel like you have to go somewhere else to do something else to try to be something which is usually something that you think you need to be because of other people's opinions as opposed to what really fills your heart. <clears throat> Along those lines, I think all, part of what I'm asking, though, too, is uh, 
I'm very curious about the mind and just being able to use visualization and use uh, part of my meditation as my lifting practice. And how do you see really those two as being combined um, to enhance one another? Well, they're really actually the same process. Remember, uh, matter is spirit moving slowly enough that you can interact with it. So the mind is the higher vibrational pole. The body is, is the materialistic pole. So if you think of a rainbow, the mind is violet at the top and the body's red down below, if, if you want an analogy. And then the emotions would fit in the middle. Um, so, you know, you have your body below, your heart, which is the integration of emotions and feelings, and then the brain, which is what interfaces with the vibrational energy called the noosphere, or the field of mind. And the mind of the individual cannot really be distinguished from the mind of the universe itself. Um, so the first thing we always have to do is we have to remember that we're the universe experiencing itself. We're not separate from the universe. So when... When you go into the gym, you're actually dealing primarily with resistance. And resistance is a metaphor that uh, is essential to life because without resistance, there's no feeling. Um, for example, if you were making love to a woman, but you couldn't feel anything, it wouldn't be satisfying. Um, if you bought a new pair of uh, shoes for your favorite sport but they fit so loosely you couldn't feel them on your foot you'd always be concerned about whether or not they were going to work or not um so i think that the key point is that when we see weightlifting or conditioning like that as engaging with resistance it's an opportunity for us to learn how to engage resistance in a way that produces what we're dreaming of. So if you're dreaming of adding 40 pounds of muscle so you can compete in a bodybuilding competition, then the way you engage the resistance is such that it produces increased muscle mass, but you have to do that skillfully or you could find yourself engaging resistance in attempt to gain muscle and you might gain muscle, but you could end up with all sorts of health problems so you'd become a sick fit person, which is what we have a lot of today. So really, using resistance training as a method, you know, for example, if you're going to do a 1RM deadlift and your mind is scattered, you're never going to be able to do near the deadlift that you can if your mind is focused because you've got to get every single muscle cell in your body to work in harmony or you never achieve a maximum lift. If you're trying to build muscle, then you've got to do enough sets to progressively cause a conditioning effect, which means you have to be able to do more and more, which requires more and more focus and more and more commitment to working through the discomfort. So, you know, resistance allows us both facilitation and it makes us aware of the discomfort, which is what makes things meaningful for us. If there's no, um, if there's no discipline required to deal with and manage the discomfort of creating something, then there's really no value in the creation. If everybody could be an Olympic champion just because they thought that they were, it wouldn't mean anything to be a champion at anything. So if we just go into the gym and be honest with what our dream is, 
and organize our mental and emotional energy so that it's congruent with the dream, then we meet the resistance that's adequate to create the dream. If someone's trying to put on muscle mass, but they keep doing one RM lifts, they're not going to put muscle mass on. If they keep training like an endurance athlete, they're not going to put muscle mass on. So learning to use resistance in a way that's coherent with our objective and learning to be clear about what our dream is so we know when is being as strong as an ox dysfunctional versus being strong enough to play with your kid and not be in pain and have freedom, then we learn how to use our mind, how to manage our emotions, and how to organize our uh, activities so that they produce the uh, freedom that we're after. Because if you have strength but you don't have freedom, then you're just really expressing another pathology in a gym that you're probably expressing in your relationships. As I often say to people, who cares if you can squat a thousand pounds if you still can't get along with your wife and your kids? Paul, how do you feel that your rock stacking uh, helps you with something like that, where it's that physical uh, expression and resistance combined with the meditative practice of doing something like that? Immensely. Um, there's several layers of answers to that. One, my rule is I rock stack unless it's unless it's too dangerous with bare hands and bare feet so that I maintain a high level of respect for the living beings underneath my feet and the creatures that live on the rocks. Um, two, uh, so I engage in nature as naturally as I can. If you're too protected, then you, you become dull to what you're doing to everything around you. Um, Two, lifting rocks is many magnitudes more athletic in its demand than lifting anything you can lift in a gym, pretty much. Uh, rocks have unusual centers of gravity. So you pick up a rock that looks square, but you can find out that its center of gravity is way to one side, and you're having to use twice as much effort with your left arm, for example, than your right arm, and to carry that and, and to climb with it. You know, oftentimes I have to climb up multiple steps of rock that I've created because I do some of these things that are 15 plus feet high. So you have to have far greater balance, far greater coordination, far greater stability, far greater mental focus, um, far greater agility, far greater concentration, and far greater levels of awareness because if you make a mistake when you're lifting heavy rocks, you can end up in a hospital or dead. Um, the other thing is, is that you're picking up objects that can be very, very sharp and can cut into you and you have to be very careful placing them. I've smashed fingers like grapes and just had blood everywhere, just crushed. And every time I've done that or ripped the skin off my elbows, my head, my knees, my ankles, if I slow down and play it backwards, it was always because I was rushing or I was allowing myself to be distracted. Or, or I was trying to accomplish an objective and I was focusing too much on the outcome, which causes me to be distracted from the experience I'm having right then. And my finger got smashed when I would, was looking forward into the future versus being present with what I was doing. So rock stacking is a practice of nowness and uh, to the degree that you're not present in the now, then the pain teacher shows up to uh, gather your attention and improve your skills. 
Um, rock stacking is also dealing with resistance and it has a hell of a lot to do with balance. So you learn a lot about balance. You learn how to find the center of one rock relative to the next rock because if those centers are not balanced, every step you go, you create more and more instability. And lo and behold, when a rock stack falls over, you get your report card because it usually falls over to the level that you did a good job and the good job stays up and the bad job or the poor job or the lack of concentration expresses itself to you as instability. So when we realize that we can learn from rock stacking that the greatest amount of attention must be paid to the first rock because it's the foundation and any mistakes there are magnified by each additional stone, it points back to our life and says, how much of your problems are becoming because you're ignoring your foundation or you're unconscious about what you're creating at the foundational level, which would be four doctors. Um, rock stacking is also very important because it's my, it's one of my techniques of meditation and getting out of the rational left brain controlling mind into the right brain intuitive holistic mind. And so one of my practices is not to go out with any idea of what I'm going to create other than a rock stack and to connect to the unconscious mind of the earth and ask the rocks to guide me and say, where, which one of you would like to be first? Which one of you would like to be next? Or which one of you guys would like to play with me today? Now, for the average person who's got too much left brain conditioning, it sounds like you're listening to a psychopath talking. But when you ask yourself the question, what am I really? Well, I say to people, if you get rid of the earth in you, and you get rid of the water in you, and you get rid of the warmth in you, and you get rid of the air in you, there's nothing left but space. And so they come to the conclusion that if you got rid of the physicality of yourself, you would be everywhere and nowhere simultaneously. So the point that I'm making is when you're lifting rocks, you're lifting the same stuff that you're made of. The difference is just like you're looking at the rock over there and it's a conglomeration of matter, you're a conglomeration of matter. But if you say, well, where did the rock and me come from? We both came from a star. And when we say, well, where did the star come from? Astrophysics shows that every star is made of every other star and there's no way they can track it because it's been going on for so long that they're all mixes of each other. And so you can't say that star came from that star. In other words, whatever's in our sun that became the body of the earth came from every other star potentially at an infinite degree. So when you're working with rocks, or soil, or trees, or plants, you're really working with the rest of yourself that your ego has been too conditioned to make contact with. And as I show my students, if you look at in your genes, you have a lot of genes, many of which they call junk DNA, but we have the genes of a banana, we got the genes of a fruit fly. To make a long story short, we have genetic programs in us because they're a history of our evolution through nature itself so if you're talking to a tree, all you got to do is relax and your genes pick up the tree energy and pass it through the DNA that resonates with tree communication and you just relax and let it rise up and it comes right up to you. If you're talking to a banana, then you got banana genes. If you're talking to a fruit fly, then you access the fruit fly in you. So if a person 
actually dives deep enough into themselves through meditative, spiritual, or shamanic practices, they find that there is no actual division between what they are and what's around them. It's just that the ego creates an elusive barrier. So rock stacking gives me a chance to let go of trying to guide the creative process and engage in nature and trust that the same consciousness that makes trees grow, guides birds and migrations, teaches and gives animals the instincts they need to survive is the same consciousness that's within me. And because the same consciousness that created the rocks and created the garden and created the, the driveway and the mountain is what created me, all I've got to do is speak to the rest of myself in a loving relationship. And paradoxically, you find that rocks do talk and rocks do like to play and they do like to create things. And once you get calm enough inside and get rid of all your scientific materialistic programming and say, well, let me just make this decision for myself by authentic engagement, you find everything around you is alive and everything around you is conspiring to creativity and artistic expression and, and making love. And that the reason you had so much pain in your life prior to realizing that is because you weren't playing the game. You were individualizing everything. So it was me against them, or I've got to kill that tree or I got to move that mountain. When, if you engage in a creative process, you find that the whole universe just wants to play. And it's just a matter of uh, asking yourself, uh, what could I create that would nourish me and would be, uh, if repeated by everybody else, would be nourishing to them. In other words, if we all stacked rocks, would the world be a better place? Certainly. <laughs> Paul, you mentioned there some of your shamanic work. Yeah. How do you... How did you maybe kind of get into that and how has that progressed for you and what does that really look like for you now? I mean, if it's a daily practice or if it's, uh, what do you really do with your shamanic work? Well, you know, there's different viewpoints of shamanism, um, but shamanism is really older than religion. What we call religion actually emerged out of shamanism. Um, a shaman is someone who, if you bring it down to its absolute basics, a shaman is someone who brings equanimity and harmony to a situation, whether it be to help somebody heal or to resolve a conflict in a tribe or to find food for the tribe. Historically, shaman did a lot of things. Not always were shaman um, what we would call good people. They used spells to control people, to make people sick. Um, what I practice really is, is more of a spiritual practice of shamanism. So the shamanic element of it for me is the connective, uh, the connection to the elements, to nature, to the collective conscious of the earth or Gaia consciousness or in an archetypal form, the Black Madonna, which is an expression of the Christian uh, Mother Mary. Um, the shamanic element of it for me is the ritual of it of honoring and respecting life and nature. It's the awareness of the rhythms and cycles that are the foundation that allow us to be conscious. For example, um, your heart and your breathing and your peristalsis, your urination, 
your bowel movements, your day-night cycle are all rhythms that are expressions of nature. And to the degree that you're out of tune with those rhythms, it becomes more and more challenging for you to become conscious and creative because you're constantly being plagued by health problems or some resistance to your creativity. So if we don't have what I would call a shamanic relationship with ourselves and our environment, though we may have a PhD and esteem ourselves as wise guys, we find that we spend most of our time trying to deal with the mistakes we made by not being connected, such as putting chemicals on the soil or using dangerous vaccinations and drugs that actually do more damage than good, all in the name of protecting yourself from some elusive uh, uh, infection that comes along once every 150 years, if it comes along at all in any given generation. So my practice of shamanism is really a practice of staying in tune with the natural rhythms, drives, and creativity and harmony of nature, which can be done through a wide variety of techniques, whether it just be spending time in nature, whether it be connecting to and asking plant spirits for guidance, such as making natural medicines, which I've spent a lot of time doing. Um, and shamanism includes the use of psychedelic medicines if you practice that way. And I spent um, quite a bit of time researching, uh, testing, and using, I, when I got trained to use psychedelic medicines, I spent a year uh, with an expert at it and did uh, 40 shamanic journeys on a wide variety of different medicines to kind of develop a library of experience and to know which medicine would have the right effect for which physical, emotional, or mental problem. And I've done over, I've probably done 400 shamanic journeys in my uh, career working in this field with different medicines and or guiding people in different ceremonies and be it healing ceremonies or group ceremonies so those medicines uh which are shamanic uh you know they have a dissolving effect on the ego so they they disable the ego's filtration system so that you um you know for example people that can't see auras on the right medicine all of a sudden see auras and one of the first things they notice is that everything's connected and that their ego is blocking a lot out. They feel a lot more love in their lives and around them, but they realize that the ego is creating the illusion that it's not there. So when the ego's filtration system gets, shall we say, disabled, you're able to actually feel, perceive, and experience many, many times more of the information that's always there but we have uh, selectively cut out usually due to belief systems or fear of being different if you know you, like when people see me talking to trees and plants i get some strange comments from people but i have empathy because i realize i'm the healthy one and the fact that they don't think that you can do that is an indication of how far from their center they've wandered and they feel that they're safe because they've got a BMW and an iPhone. And I feel that I'm safe because if I'm lost in nature, I have lots of friends that will guide me to water and safety. Um, so the shamanic work in my life is really a part of my life. And I use the medicines not nearly so frequently anymore, but I use them um, when I feel 
that there is something for me to gain, either gaining guidance from the spirit of that particular medicine. So if I'm using a cactus, for example, um, such as San Pedro as, as an example, then I know that the personality of the cactus has unique characteristics to it because I have a relationship and I'm experienced with the use of it. So then I may engage the spirit of the cactus and say, hey, um, you know, I'm working with such and such a client who's got cancer and I need your help to try to identify what would be the best path to uh, helping them resolve this challenge. And so the cactus tunes you to a frequency of the universe, if you will, that is aided by the uh, medicine, by the molecular structure and the biochemistry of the cactus, the active ingredient there being mescaline. Um, so it opens up your creativity, and by holding the intention of what it is that you came and providing you're coming out of love and you're coming to support, then you all of a sudden find that doors open up and things come to you as visions, intuitions, inner knowing, inner voices, and many of these things can't be explained through rationality or left brain concepts, but lo and behold, it turns out to be exactly what you needed to guide that person to health. Um, so to summarize, shamanism is who I am. It is not something that I do, it's something that I live. And the goal of it is to create state in myself and take responsibility for creating the state in myself and the connection in myself to nature that I need to know is authentically real or I can never be secure about encouraging, inspiring or guiding others to having that kind of a relationship and if you look around you, you'll see a huge amount of what ails humanity is our disconnection from nature and our disconnection from our right brain and our sense of connection to everything. Paul, when you're talking about that connection with nature, with earth, what are just simple suggestions that you recommend to people to just start to cultivate that in their own lives? Well, the first one would be to ask yourself, what would happen if you had no connection to the earth? Well, we know right away that when people don't get their feet on the ground, they get full of electromagnetic pollution and their biological systems start to break down. They get a lot of chaos. They have anxiousness, nervousness, can't sleep. They have increased likelihood of cancer, diseases, inflammation, because the body is a bioelectrical system. So if a person can't bleed off the energy frequencies that are not congruent with the human body by connecting to the earth, then they all those frequencies get trapped inside of them. So it's kind of like um, if you have um, certain kinds of clothing, like if you take a sweater out of the dryer, oftentimes it's full of static electricity. It clings to you and it's an irritating feeling. There's an electrical buzz about it and it causes the sweater to behave unusually and it's uncomfortable so we think to ourselves man i gotta get that static cling out of there well water has an almost infinite capacity for carrying information and can hold on to a wide wide variety of energies i mean water is very magical stuff but it, it it also is so magical that if we're not aware that we need to ground the energy that's trapped in the water of our bodies then we start resonating at the frequency of a cell phone or the frequency of a television 
And our cells work at much, much lower levels of energy and frequencies than that. You know, our cells are products of the Earth, and the Earth's natural resonant frequency is 7.8 hertz, or the Schumann resonance, and our brain spends a lot of time right in that frequency. So if we don't spend time touching the Earth and doing things like just raising a, a plant and watering it, nurturing it, noticing that when we've put love into caring for the plant and we talk to it and we give it water and we fertilize it as necessary that it grows just like a child that's loved and nurtured then we lose contact with everything so you know the, the first thing I would say put your feet on the ground the other thing I would say is especially if you're having health problems such as adrenal fatigue mental confusion digestive troubles eliminative troubles is get a grounding mat and a grounding pillowcase because that grounds you to the earth in your bed and the next thing would be in simultaneous with that is whenever you get a chance go lay outside on the earth even you know, as long as you're using a natural fiber uh, blanket like a wool or hemp or something cotton with no synthetics in it because your energy field will pass through that without being obstructed and many people are absolutely shocked at how much better they feel taking a nap outside on their lawn compared to in their bed in their house and so it starts to wake you up to the fact that the earth is very very important and we are very much part of it uh, being in nature again just go for hikes spend time watch the birds and marvel at all the beauty and ask yourself what would happen if all this was gone right what would happen if there was no nature what happens when i don't get my feet on the earth well i, I travel the world lecturing and I spent 25 years on airplanes living out of hotels and I could really tell the difference in my overall state of mental emotional stability groundedness health wellness mental capacity when I'm at home and can be in my garden and do the things I love to do versus say when I'm stuck in New York City and I can't find any piece of grass or anything for blocks I used to have to walk 10-15 blocks just to find one little piece of grass or a tree to do some Tai Chi with and once you've been grounded and connected and then you lose it it's as though you're like a pot boiling and you just don't know how to get the stress out of you so water also you know if you can find a place where there's streams go be near a stream even if you just put your feet in the stream it's very very connecting and it bleeds a lot of the negative energy out of your body but you're connecting to the biome you know the streams are full of bacteria and living creatures that are harmonious with what's in your body and your bloodstream and that's one of the amazing experiences that I've had using shamanic medicines where when you get the ego opened up I remember one time I was in Ashland Oregon uh, visiting my mother and I did a shamanic journey out by myself up in a really nice park they have in Ashland and I just chose to lay right next to a creek because I like the sound of it well, about three hours into the journey, it was like I could hear all the cells and all the organs in my body having a conversation with the water in the creek. And it was it's something very paradoxical for the rational consciousness to, to really wrap its head around. But I felt as though the creek was moving through me, literally moving through me, even though I wasn't laying in the water, I was laying next to it. And I felt that there was a dialogue going on. I could feel 
energy moving through me in response to sounds and feelings coming from the creek. And I had a very profound sense that this dialogue is important because the earth carries basic information that our biological systems use to regulate themselves. And if we get too far from that, then we start living in ways that we don't realize are cutting us off from that core information, which is why, for example, I charge my water in a stone water charger that I built by hand. And I have one here and one at home, but that water is collecting the energy of the sun all day, the moon all night. It's collecting the sounds of the birds. It's collecting everything in the environment. So you can think like of that like basic operational software. So when I drink the water, I'm drinking the frequencies of the birds. I'm drinking the light of the sun. I'm drinking the light of the moon. And because water can carry this information, not only as information, but it also can carry the rhythms. In other words, the water molecules move in these rhythmic cycles. You're actually drinking the base frequencies that end up regulating the flow of energy through your biological systems. But then if you go from drinking water like that to dead water that's come out of pipes or out of plastic bottles, until you've lived the way I live and go back, you wouldn't know the difference. But I can tell you right now what people drink that they call water is not only dead water, it's water that's as desperate to get next to a creek or back into a creek as you and I are to, you know, have a good night's sleep or a good meal when we're hungry or to feel better when we're not feeling good. Um, so those are some some of my basic concepts that I work with. Paul, I'm curious about the water because in the summertime, this is no problem for me because it's not below freezing. This time of year, if I'm setting glass bottles or anything uh, outside, it's going to be a problem. Uh, any recommendations on that? Or even if it's just in a window near plants in the house, anything that would be as effective possibly? Yeah, you can get an infrared mat that they use for dogs to keep them warm in, in dog houses, for example, in the winter. And infrared's a, a, a quite a healthy frequency for us. So uh, one of my clients, for example, he lives way up north in New York where it's cold as hell in the winter. And he also has a flat in, in Manhattan um, on the roof. He's got a penthouse. And uh, I had encouraged him to get an infrared mat and he can then control the heat so it's just warm enough to keep it from freezing, but it's not overstimulating the water. That, that makes that simple perfect. Yeah, it's easy and, and it works. Absolutely. Uh, Paul, one of the questions I've, I don't know that I've ever heard you talk about or seen you write about, uh, but I know that you're a big fan of Einstein. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm curious, your thoughts, is the universe friendly? Well, you know, that's a human question. Um, I think the universe is as friendly as we are. Um, the universe mirrors us back to us. So if you're friendly to the universe, you'll find that the events in your life are reciprocating your interaction. If you're destructive, then the universe mirrors that back to you. I would say that the universe itself is neutral. It's the, you know, it's the expression of the creative source from which it emerges. And that is unconditional love. So, 
if the universe is a product of unconditional love, it's really a gift. And therefore, the universe is a playground in which we learn to realize what we are, become conscious, and um, celebrate the mystery of it all. But my point is that the to think of the universe like a human being is to is to make a potential mistake because the universe is not a human being. Just like um, everything's made out of earth, water, fire, air, and space. If you want to use a basic kind of Aristotelian model. Um, but that's like saying, are stones friendly? Well, are you friendly to the stone? Is water friendly? Well, research shows that water reciprocates you, right? You give loving thoughts and feelings to water, and lo and behold, you look at the crystals made from the water, and they look like the energy that you gave to them. If you put anger into water, then you get water crystals that look angry and mirror it back to you. If you breathe air with anger, it fuels the anger. If you breathe air with love, it fuels the love. If you use space to be disruptive and disrespectful to people, then disrespect and disruption enters your space. So do you see the point that I'm making that the earth, the water, the fire, and the air, they're neutral. They're elements of creativity. They're expressions of divine love, which is unconditional. But the unconditional love can't know itself until conditions are created. Love cannot be experienced unless there's a subject-object relationship. In other words, God can't love God because there's no way for God to know that God is loving God because there's nowhere else for the love to go. God has to create the illusion of separation, which creates I and thou, or self and other. So the ego, the, the sort of the pathology of the ego, the creation of separateness actually becomes the gift because without the illusion of separateness, you wouldn't really appreciate when you finally figured it out that the universe is love and that you are being mirrored back to you and that everything is unconditional love until you'd had something that wasn't so beautiful. In other words, you can't really appreciate the gift that you were given until you've forgotten about it or lost it and then had to regain it. So the ego's got the function of first creating an illusion of separation, which leads to pain because anything we try to do without the support of the universe, we must provide the energy to do ourselves. And that gets to be very draining. So when we work with the universe, we progressively learn, just like when we work with rocks and plants and trees and nature, we progressively learn it's all conspiring to participate with us. So therefore, all of a sudden you realize, wow, to really paint my most beautiful painting, say of this scenery, I need to connect to the scenery and invite it to paint with me. Instead of trying to paint something out there, I have to invite it in here. When I really connect to the water, I find out there's a lot more information in there than I ever realized, but I had to let go of my ideas about what water is or isn't or should or shouldn't be in order to invite the feelings and trust that whatever I'm feeling is as real as real gets. So once the ego reaches the point where it realizes the separation is creating limitation, which is reducing connection and the feeling of love, the ego has a choice to either let go of the barriers 
which is, you know, what we learn through psychotherapy or through shamanic healing or through a life crisis, like a near-death experience, right? When we almost lose our life, we usually wake up and say, I've been living like an idiot. I've got to stop that. I've got to say I love you to people. I've got to take time for myself. I can't just work all the time. So there's a great ex example of when someone has a near-death experience. It, I've never heard of anyone having a near-death experience that, come, that came out and recapitulated the same behaviors that led to it, right? So they actually had to lose their ego to realize how beautiful their life was and begin to engage it. And then love takes on new meaning. Then you, the universe takes on new meaning. Everything takes on a new meaning. So you could say the first half of life is that of individuality, which gives us something to love, I to you, but then we go into what's sometimes called the second simplicity. First, we're very simplistic in our childhood. We get more and more complicated as we age, but we get to a point where we're so complicated, we're top-heavy, and we can't create the beauty and the feelings and the connection we want because we're too smart. So with all our PhDs and all of our master's degrees, we look around and we're the sickest, most confused, beat up, disruptive, dangerous people we've ever been. So finally, we have to get to the point and say, OK, I'm going to stop relying on science. I'm going to stop relying on gimmicks. I'm going to stop relying on pills to make my penis stand up. I'm going to stop relying on plastic surgery to try to get people to love me. And I'm going to love myself and I'm going to love other people. And when you find out how much more exciting your life is and how connected you were to everything all along, it has meaning. But without that experience of kind of coming up into the resistance of overly self-centered orientation, you don't really get the richness of the love that was always there. A child's born into the love but doesn't know the difference. You see my point? Absolutely. Absolutely. But once you become an adult with responsibilities and people that don't like you and tell you that your ideas are lousy and you get resistance all over, then you really need the love of somebody else like a partner or a coach or a family or a, a friend to support you through it. But then when you get to the point where you realize you're creating most of that resistance by not going out in nature, by not loving, by over killing and, and uh, ruthless farming practices and ruthless animal raising practices, then you realize that that part of you that thought it was so smart really isn't that smart and it's creating more and more isolation and separation to the point that life loses its meaning, its luster, its vitality. So then you have a choice, get a disease and hopefully find a check professional to straighten your head out and, and teach you what's really important or take pills for the rest of your life and have tubes sticking out of your body or go back to the things that were really nourishing from the very beginning, which is play more, don't sweat the small stuff, and wake up each day with the creative joy of knowing that the whole universe is there to play with you, but you've got to initiate the process. It's not, you know, the trees and the rocks aren't going to come knock on your door and say, hey, you're getting too caught up in this money-making thing. They just wait patiently. Paul, with all this passion and just excitement that you show, what is it that you're most excited about right now? This. That was the best answer. <laughs> I, 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 I completely understand that. Actually, thank you. What are you doing right now? 
That is that is awesome. Right? Why did you want to talk to me? Because I was excited to talk to you and have the fun of just experiencing all of this. And what's and what's the point of this recording? I think to help share that with others, share what we've talked about, but also for us to experience this moment right now. And I think like you said, this kind of comes back full circle with we talking about our sons at the beginning. It's just being in this moment and having a blast while we're doing it. That's what I'm most excited about because if I can't do this with you, then how can I do it with my son or anybody else? And if it's meaningful enough for you and I to get together and share love, then it's obviously something we feel important enough to share with other people. So here we are. I I did not expect that answer, Paul, but that is, I'm just absolutely blown away by that. Thank you so much for that. It's what's real for me. That's why I agreed to do it. So, Paul, I'm curious then, what is your vision for a healthy future for yourself, for your family, just for the world? Well, everything that I've shared so far, um, I think Donald Trump is a great gift because he's um, bringing our unconscious shadow up into the into the light so we can see it. He's um, he's taking everything we don't like about ourselves and putting it right front and center on stage and we either have a choice to to blame him or realize that as Lao Tzu said the government always reflects the people and uh, I think that you know his desire to continue drilling and fracking and and ignore the greenhouse effect and keep winding up the military machine and create more and more ethnocentric division and racial and class division um, is Groundhog Day. It's going to take us into the same thing that we ran into with the First World War, the Second World War, the Vietnam era, with all the things that Martin Luther King and Gandhi spent their life trying to balance and all the people like them. Um, So I think Donald Trump's really um, giving us a chance to look very carefully about what's really meaningful to us because if we don't stand up and take responsibility for the shadow that's exemplified in him, um, a man with that mentality in the position he's in could destroy the planet and uh, it could be the end of it. We, we don't have the, the um, capacity to endure a third world war. There's no way. We've got the technology we have right now. We have enough munitions to to destroy the world something like 270 times over. Um, The Americans forget there's something like 23 countries worldwide with atomic rockets pointed right at us because we're the biggest threat of all. And um, we either get to what religion really is about, which is love and fellowship and connection and community and we either accept our role and our responsibility to nurture and care for the garden that gives us bodies and feeds us and gives us a playground to practice and experience loving, or we continue to chase after uh, smartphones, uh, BMWs, quick fix technologies, and everything fake. Um, 
in the name of achieving some elusive status symbol that doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. So I think right now our move towards health is we've got to care for the earth with respect and love. We've got to care for animals with respect and love. We've got to care for plants with respect and love. We've got to look at all the things that our life depends upon and love those things with the respect that reflects an awareness that without water, we're dead. Without good food, we're dead. We're already dying. Most people are just dead people walking. Um, without air, we're dead. Without space uh, and freedom to move, we're encapsulated and controlled and we're just in an illusory prison. Without the willingness to take, you know, United States' defense budget is more than the top 13 nations competing with us combined. And yet we say we don't have the money to feed the starving people or heal the problems with our soils or clean our waterways or our air, but yet some of the greatest scientists in the world have calculated that for somewhere between seven and nine billion dollars, we could restore cleanliness to the water, we could balance the soils, and we could clean the air, and we could feed all the hungry people in the world, yet most of the nations, including the United States, said we can't afford to do that. But that, you know, look at how much money they're spending to go to the moon or go to Mars and all these advanced technologies, and look how much money they spend on rockets, weapons, and, and silliness. So if we don't embrace the Donald Trump in ourselves and use him as a reminder to live in a way that opens borders and hugs people instead of uh, isolating them and stop going into countries under the false pretense of rescuing them when it's really just to steal their resources and give people the space to practice religion the way they want to practice it and to love the way they want to love and, and learn that that's also there's as much God in them as there is in us and that God loves variety and we need to support that and work together in an adult way to, to find ways to nurture each other's needs and share resources. You know, we're getting to a time where there's going to be crises of significant proportion that we're going to have to move resources around the world and we're going to have to share or we're going to have to sit there and watch potentially millions of people starve, die, or, you know, think of what happens when you have a massive earthquake and you have thousands and thousands of people who are caught under buildings. The way we're going, we're going to get to a point where we can't claim border issues. We can't claim money issues. We just got to say there's people that need our help. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do. If the best I can do is send a bag of rice, that's what I'm going to do. But we've, we're at the point now where we really have a choice to recognize the humanity in all human beings and the divine in all human beings. And, you know, as Jesus says in the Bible, love thy enemy as thyself. That doesn't mean, you know, provoke them, steal from them and point high powered weapons at them and threaten them, or you just get that back at you. So I think for our health, we just have to start treating the earth the way we'd want to be treated. We want to treat our neighbors personally, within the nation, and internationally the way we want to be treated. And I think that we will reduce the stress in the environment so much by just acknowledging all the beauty that we have to share and all the creativity we could have if we work together 
And um, that alone would inspire so much health. I think it would be obvious from there. I don't think it would require a lot of uh, fancy footwork. Um, I think we've already gotten far enough down the rabbit hole to realize that scientifically approved drugs and scientifically approved foods really means corporate manipulation of science to create the illusion of truth for higher profits, which leads to a lot of disease and a lot of death and a lot of children living a very, very painful life in the name of medicine and in the name of health and in the name of this or that, when ultimately all it takes is for anybody that's got two brain cells holding hands is to look around and see how often that turns out not to be true. And if we just get back to the very simple practices that shamanism emerged out of and respect the earth and respect life and respect each other, then health will be the natural state. Right now, it's the unnatural state. Paul, in closing, <laughs> where can everybody go to just learn more about all that you've shared today? Well, you you know, I have a few sites. Uh, chekinstitute.com that's the institute's website and that's where you can look at my courses and audios and books and you know I'm sure you know I've produced a lot of stuff um, then you've got my personal blog which where I put a blog up typically every Monday and that's www.paulchekinstitute.com B-L-O-G, Paul Check's blog, with no apostrophe after the K. Uh, just P-A-U-L-C-H-E-K-S blog.com. Um, and then you can go directly to Check Institute, or you, or you can go to PPSSuccess.com, which is my personal professional spiritual success mastery training program, which is 12 lessons that you can do online. Um, and you can also join my weekly coaching calls or actually every two weeks now. And you can also have access to over five years of coaching calls and hear me addressing every problem under the sun you can imagine for people. So ppssuccess.com, checkinstitute.com, paulchecksblog.com, or you can go to youtube.com forward slash Paul check live and you can see uh, over 500 videos I've put out there for public uh, healing. Well, Paul, I'll make sure to get all those links for everybody to be able to check out. And I just want to say thank you again so much for having this experience with me today. It's been an absolute blast. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Uh, keep doing the great work you're doing and uh, keep loving your wife and your kid and your life. And, uh, you know, spend some time in the garden letting your head go and see what the rocks have to say. I'm going to go talk to him tonight. Thank you, Paul. And what I would encourage you to ask those rocks is, is the universe friendly? I, I will certainly be uh, questioning that tonight for sure. See you, partner. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach, and the show is sponsored by you guys. 
Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you.